Thank you, Nigel. Um, as Nigel said, in the last few weeks, we've been looking at the covenant promises that God made with his people. In the story of creation, we saw how he brings order out of chaos. In Genesis 2, we heard about our vocation and purpose as God calls us into partnership with him and equips us to care for his creation. And in Genesis 3, we saw that God gives us choices, but there are clear consequences if we go against his purposes for us. And then last week, Erin spoke about the covenant with Abraham, in which he was promised that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Aaron reminded us of God's faithfulness, even though sometimes we wobble in our commitment or faith. So quite a lot has happened in the gap between the times of Abraham and our reading this morning about Moses. This week, we're picking up the story of the Hebrew nation, the Israelites in the desert. God has heard his people's cries during their slavery to the Egyptians and he's rescued them. And using Moses, he's led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea and into the desert. And to Mount Sinai, where he speaks today. As you listen, it's quite a long reading, but I think they're helpful. Do bear in mind those themes we've already thought about. God bringing order out of chaos, purpose to his people as his representatives among the nations, choice, consequence and his faithfulness. Let's listen as Joe reads to us now. Our reading this morning is from the book of Exodus, chapters 19 and 20 at Mount Sinai. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Moving on to chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have 
no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house, nor shall you covet your neighbour's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbour. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it comes to us through the centuries, but can speak freshly into our lives today. And I pray that as I speak, we'd hear your voice. Amen. Amen. So a very familiar reading, and I want to look at it in a slightly different way today. I wonder um, what you think about rules from the moment that we start school we come across rules. We learn to fit in. Uh, I've got a picture there, which our boys would hate of them um, in their uniforms. Uh, When they were very small, first day of school, we always used to take a photo. And part of going to school and following the rules was to wear those uniforms. Um, There are other rules rules that we learn. Uh, Joining in sports, it's very difficult to play a game if you don't know what the rules are. Learning to drive, we all need to agree 
to follow the rules or it's chaos and actually really dangerous. <laughs> if you've ever tried to train a puppy, you know that there are rules that you decide that will help your life as a family to run smoothly. And of course, in these times, we've all had to follow a new set of rules as we try to keep one another safe. So we're surrounded by rules and sometimes we like them and sometimes we don't. But what's the point of those rules? Well, I think I've sort of classified them in four areas. Firstly, there are rules relating to safety. We need to drive on the correct side of the road. We need to stop at a red traffic light and go at a green in order to keep ourselves and other people safe. There are rules that help us to belong. School rules. Children who refuse to follow the rules find it hard to fit in. And in playing games like football, to have a good identity as a team, you need to follow both the rules of the game and the rules that kind of go with the culture of whatever club you're belonging to. So they help us with a sense of belonging. They can give us confidence. I was thinking earlier about uh, we've been playing over lockdown some games online with our son, David, in another house. And he's come up with some amazing websites with some really fun games where you've got to draw something and everyone's got to guess what it is or uh, find different things. But usually as we start playing those games, we feel completely at sea because he knows what the rules are and we don't. And that feels quite uncomfortable. But as we've gradually learnt what the rules are and we've understood how it works, then we grow in confidence and we feel more secure. We're more competent and we begin to enjoy it. And then rules help us as a society, as a group, as a family to achieve a purpose. They help us to achieve things together. We're being reminded a lot at the moment that the rules about coronavirus, about social distancing, about washing our hands and wearing masks and not gathering where we shouldn't, are serving a purpose. They're not just for the sake of wearing masks. They are to help us not to spread this thing between us. So four ways that rules can help us to keep us safe, to help us to belong to give us confidence and to give us a purpose. So what about these commandments? Who were the commandments given to? And are they really just another set of rules? Well, we've already said that they were a, a thing given to God's chosen people. Abraham's descendants who had become the Israelite nation, the Hebrews, who knew they had been chosen for a purpose. They were to be in a special relationship with God and to bear his name among the nations. So yes, in a sense, these 10 commandments that we've heard this morning were to help the Israelites. It helped them to be safe together in the way they treated one another. They are a way of living that helps to establish their identity, to give them a sense of belonging and confidence 
as they followed the same directions. And they gave clarity to the purpose of the chosen race. They were called God's treasured possession. Said in that reading, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Priests were the people who bore God's name among the people. Priests were set apart and they often wore um, a medallion on their foreheads, which had God's name on it. They were there as representatives of God amongst the people, speaking on his behalf and bringing the people to God. So when the Israelites were told that they were going to be a kingdom of priests, the implication was that they would be the people who bore God's name to the others around them. Among the nations, they were to be holy, to be holy is to be set apart and different. And the Ten Commandments were one way in which that became clear. These rules were applied to them in a way that other nations wouldn't expect. So, yes, they were a set of rules, but in another sense, no. They were so much more than just a set of rules. These commandments were part of a covenant agreement. The people entered willingly into it. They said to Moses, we will do what God wants. Their part of the agreement was going to be demonstrated in the way that they lived, in the way that they followed what God had asked them to do. These were their part of the promise to God, a bit like a bride and a groom make promises to each other in marriage. It's a two way thing. It isn't just that the husband promises to share everything and care for his wife. The, the wife promises the same to the husband. So to be in a covenant relationship with God, the people promised God that they would behave in these ways. But he gave them the commandments to start with to help them in that. There's a temptation to see the commandments as a kind of test. Often if you talk to people, they'll say, well, how are you doing? You know, oh, well, maybe seven out of 10, eight out of 10, nine out of 10. How are we doing? Are we measuring up? Are we passing or failing? And I think there's a lot of thought recently about, well, there's always a lot of debate. Has the syllabus changed since it was first written? And we can get drawn into some of those kinds of discussions. Were these rules that we find in the Bible just for people in a particular time, in a particular way? We can look at them like that, but it's a bit depressing. Most of us would go, well, it's OK. I haven't murdered anybody yet. Um, but. Are we really keeping them? I, I find that quite challenging. But there's another way of looking at them. What if we were to look at them more as a treasure map? A guide to show us how to live as God plans. A sign to others that will lead them into a hunt themselves for the source of light and life by following these commandments, by following these rules, these words of wisdom given by God, directions for living, then those people would become the light 
to the nations. So what are these Ten Commandments? Well, we've got them here uh, in brief, really. Uh, no other gods, no idols. God's name is holy. Don't take it in vain. We need to take Sabbath rest. We need to honour our parents, fathers and mothers. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. That's um, pretty much the commandments in a nutshell. But I want to look particularly at the one that's labelled uh, three there. God's name is holy. Do not take it in vain. Carmen Joy Imes has written a really good book, which I think Richard's spoken about before, called Bearing God's Name. And she says that this third commandment is not about swearing. It's not about how we use the name Yahweh or God, Jesus, Christ, whatever those names are that we've used for God. It's not about how those enter our vocabulary. Bearing God's name is more to do with the way that the priests bore his name amongst the people. It's about representing God. Everything we do, we are labelled as his people. We're wearing his colours. If you think about pupils wearing school uniform, the number of times I've been in schools where I've heard the head teacher say, it's really important how you behave on your way to school or on your way home from school. When you are out in the town and you're wearing our uniform, you are representing us. And what people think about the school is entirely dependent on your behaviour. Those who wear a uniform hold the reputation in public and opinions are formed according to what is actually seen. Now, we are wearing God's uniform if we're Christians. We are saying this is the group that I belong to. This is the leader that I follow. These are the values and the rules that I'm living my life by. We bear God's name amongst the people who know that we are Christians. And we are to do that carefully. We're not to take that lightly. We're not to take God's name in vain. We're to remember that our behaviour represents him. So the commandments, these rules, are they about taming or are they about training? I think for most people, they see them as something that is trying to tame us to make us live in a particular way, something that we might struggle against, something that we might try and justify when we're not quite living up to them in the way that we should or others think we should. Are they there to tame us or are they there to train us? Something that we can learn to flourish through. Let's have a quick look at the training idea of this. Positive ways to behave that go beyond restrictions and into a different example. 
If we could just look at this full screen for a minute. So the first commandment is that you shall have no other gods. I think this is about staying in relationship with God. Have any idols rather than putting our energy into creating other things to give us value and worth. We are to rely on God. We're not called to be self-sufficient. I remember when I was younger, somebody talking about the fact that you see people worshipping on a Sunday morning on their drives, washing their cars. The things that we own can become idols. But that's about self-sufficiency, not about relying on God. So let's make sure that we rely on him. Thirdly, God's name is holy. So as I've already said, we're to bear it well as his representatives. Sabbath rest. It's not about not working so much as about taking time to worship and trusting God for our needs. That we can stop because we are in his hands. We don't have to be workaholics. It is possible for us to lay our work aside and to concentrate on God and on those things that bring us life and health and joy. Honour your father and mother. As a society, if we respect and care for our elders, things will go well. It says that you may live long in the land, I think. And I'm wondering whether that means so that as a society, you may live long. If fathers and mothers are honoured and cared for, then they will live longer lives. Do not murder. Most of us would very happily go, that's fine, never done that. But what if it's more about how do we live positively? Are we looking to resolve disputes peacefully? Is our aim not to apportion blame, but to work for peace? Do not commit adultery. We have to be faithful in our relationships and respect other people's relationships. To give honour, to give space, to work on those things. Not just to not do something bad, but to positively do something good. Do not steal. We have to be grateful, unselfish and generous. Do not bear false witness, but rather than that, let's respect and honour others. Let's speak truthfully whenever we can. And do not covet. What a challenge it is to be content and grateful rather than always wanting the next thing. So we've already been freed by Jesus from slavery to sin. The Israelites had been freed by God from their slavery in Egypt. And they had a choice now about how they would live moving forward. We have a choice. In Galatians 5, Paul says this, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. These commandments bring us freedom. Representing God means becoming more like Jesus, living as he did, 
choosing to behave as he would in every situation. Bearing God's image in our lives as his spirit lives and works in us and through us. And that brings us to the fruit of the spirit listed in that verse by Paul in Galatians. And it can be seen expressed in the commandments of the covenant. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. So how do those link into the commandments? Well, I think it's not a great leap. Can we have that full screen again on please? It's not a great leap to see how each of these commands actually connect with one or more of the fruit of the spirit. Mm. So to have no other gods is to stay in relationship with God. It's about being faithful. It's about being loving. To have no idols, that reliance on God, not self-sufficiency, is about living a life of peace. Bearing God's name well is about our faithfulness. Sabbath rest, again, is joy and peace and trust in God. Honouring your father and mother is about kindness, faithfulness to what they've done for you. Mm. Don't murder, it's about peace and gentleness, self-control. Do not commit adultery. Again, there's a lot of faithfulness in this, isn't there? It's about love too. Do not steal. Once more, that's about being peaceful with what we've got, about being self-controlled in how we behave. Do not bear false witness. You can't lie about someone else if your life is full of goodness. Do not covet peace and patience once more. So we see the character of God shown in the fruit of the spirit, shown in the way we behave and actually shown in those commandments and the way that they're given. The covenant was already set by God. The rescue had already happened. The commandments were a response, not a way to qualify for God's favour and love and protection. Our relationship with God is mirrored in the covenant relationship of the Israelites. They were a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, and we too are called to be a royal priesthood. The covenant expressed in the commandments wasn't The commandments weren't the way to salvation. The people were not going to achieve salvation by following these commandments and getting nine out of ten or ten out of ten, whatever. The commandments were the way of salvation. They were rules for people who were already committed to being the image bearers for God. In 1 Peter 2. We're reminded that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, 
that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. That you may declare the praises of him who called you, it says. What does it mean to be image bearers today? Well, God has shown a way to bring order out of chaos. He's given us a vocation, a role and a purpose as his people bearing his image here and now today. He gives us a choice. We're not compelled to be tamed. We're invited to be trained. And over the centuries, God has shown that he is faithful. Jesus spoke a lot about uh, the law. And in Matthew 5, he says this. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And I think that if we see these laws, these rules as a way of helping us to bear God's image, it makes sense then to see that Jesus was invested in seeing that fulfilled, in helping us to be the image bearers, in helping us to be those who would reach out to others, who would join in with that great commission that he left us with to go and tell others, to make disciples, to baptise, to teach and to preach. So the challenge for us today is, are we ready to lay down our agenda to stop nitpicking and scoring ourselves on how well we're doing? Justifying the bits that we do do and the bits that we don't do, excusing ourselves from things that are a little bit harder or that don't quite fit the way the world sees things at the moment. Are we ready to lay down those agendas and to join in the adventure of following the treasure map that we're offered? I thought it would be good to finish this morning. I know we've used this on different occasions, but as a response, the Methodists have a covenant prayer, which they use every year. They have a service at the beginning of every year to offer themselves to God, to kind of enter into this covenant for themselves. And I'd quite like us to think about this. I'm going to pray it. If you'd like to join in, please do. You might even like to uh, Google this later and perhaps print it out and have it somewhere. But let's see it not so much as a rule, as an opportunity. Let's pray. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. 
and, and now glorious and, and blessed God, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine, mine and I am yours. So be it. And the, and the covenants now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.